Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes, an hour and a half, in order to have my broadcast partners explain to you current events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So glad that you could join us, keep the dial set for that hour and a half, and I'll bring my six broadcast partners to this broadcast table with some very interesting, outstanding, and informative reports for each and every one of you. We're here at Timberary Studios in Fruitland Park, Florida. Now, that's right here at the Villages. You've heard of the Villages up north, I'm sure. This is the location where all the rich snowbirds come down (laughs) and spend the winter. Many of them have now decided to move to Florida. It's so beautiful down here most of the time. Uh, The other day when uh, we were getting ready to put this whole program together, I think it was 43 that morning, but it is beautiful most of the time. We're here doing our broadcast. I'll be at the Calvary Baptist Church in Fruitland Park, Florida, Sunday at 1045 and 630 in the evening, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We'll have an hour before each of the evening services, a prophecy Q&A. Come study the prophetic word of God with us here at Calvary Baptist Church, Fruitland Park, Florida. Well, let's get right now to the number one broadcast partner that brings us geopolitical activities, reports of what is happening around the world. That's Ken Timmerman. And Ken, as I was getting ready to go on the air, I was able to get an email from you telling me about the article that you have written. I believe it's for the Epic Times. Now, you need to tell us who that organization is, uh, but the title of your piece was... For Islamic Iran, it's hunting season again. I don't think this is talking about an outdoor sporting event that you're wanting to report to us. Who is the Epic Times? And give us what the information is about this article that you've written. It'll be on my website, prophecytoday.com. Well, the Epic Times was set up by followers of Falun Gong in China. And so these people are dissidents, if you wish, vis-a-vis the Chinese communist regime. Uh, But they're trying to establish a pretty reputable news organization. I remember working with them when I was running for Congress in 2012. They have a new Tang TV in Chinese and in English as well. So they invited me to write a series of articles. And this first one was about an Iranian effort to murder dissidents in Europe. This is something that really we haven't seen since the late 1990s. I tracked in great detail Iran's hit teams in Europe in the 1990s. Uh, I wrote about it in Time magazine at that time and have written about it since at Iran.org. And now we have the Dutch foreign minister who came out just recently in early January publicly accusing the Iranians of uh, hiring local criminal gangs to murder dissidents on Dutch territory. And it's, it's kind of interesting because this was held, uh, it was shrouded in secrecy until the foreign minister made this declaration. Last year, uh, mysteriously, Denmark closed its international borders for several hours because it was hunting an Iranian hit team. We didn't know that at the time, but now the Dutch uh, foreign minister has revealed that. So this is an ongoing operation by the Iranian regime revive their assassination networks across Europe to go hunting for dissidents against their regime. 
And I want to remind everybody eavesdropping on this conversation that uh, we're not just picking broadcast partners who fell off the turnip truck last night. We're picking professionals and guys who know what's going on in this world, wanted by the media of this world, and that's Ken Timmerman to be for sure, one of our outstanding broadcast partners. Thank you for that report. Ken, that article that you wrote will be up on our website, prophecytoday.com, there on the home page. Well, let's now go a little bit closer to the Middle East, and in particular to Israel. Syria has now threatened to bomb Ben-Gurion Airport, and Iran is pledging to wipe Israel off the earth. Sounds like World War III, does it not? Well, things are absolutely heating up, and and as we've tracked this week after week, things get hotter, Jimmy. Uh, The Israelis hit Iranian targets at the Damascus airport recently, and so the Syrians are now responding by saying, well, in that case, we have the right to attack Ben-Gurion Airport. Uh, They're not going to do that. I think I can guarantee you that the Syrian Air Force or the Syrian Missile Forces are not going to attack Ben-Gurion Airport because they know exactly what would happen to them in retaliation. However, the Iranians could indeed do something like that. They are not afraid of retaliation. In fact, they are now pretty closely in an open confrontation with Iran, uh, in fact, Israel's Minister of Intelligence, Yisrael Katz, has acknowledged this publicly uh, this past week. He said that the, these attacks and the missile uh, launches into the Golan Heights and to, at the Mount Hermon Ski Resort uh, just this past week by the Iranians were pre-planned, were premeditated, and shows that Iran considers itself to be an open confrontation with Israel. Very interesting. The Iranian air chief, the commander of the Iranian Air Force, said uh, that uh, they are ready to go to war to destroy Israel. And Prime Minister Netanyahu said, if you want to fight, bring it on. We are ready and we will take you on. Uh, Yeah, I think this is heating up quite significantly. In one airstrike recently, the Israelis appear to have targeted Qasem Soleimani, the chief of the Quds Force, the so-called Jerusalem force of the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps. He was venturing to a meeting in the evening 40 kilometers away from the Israeli border in the Golan Heights. This is a red zone. Uh, The Israelis have warned the Syrian government and the Russians they will not tolerate Iranians in Iranian military presence in that red zone. Uh, Now, they missed uh, Qasem Soleimani. the, The Iranians were probably tipped off by the Russians. Uh, But nevertheless, it shows the Israelis are on the prowl for Iranians in Syria, and the Iranians are not going to hesitate to launch missiles into Israel. You know, Ken, it looks like you're talking about pretty much military superpowers that are getting ready to take each other on. Now, there is a report from a defense site. They monitor the different military organizations of the countries across the world, and they have said, I want to see what your thoughts are, they have said that Iran has a stronger military force than Israel. I believe they listed Iran at uh, number 13, Israel at number 16, somewhere in those numbers. Do you believe that's true, or do you think Israel has a, a, a better defense force than Iran has? Well, clearly Israel has a better defense force than the Iranians, but it has a what is generally called a qualitative edge. Uh, so in numbers, the Iranians have more people, have more men 
uh, in arms. Uh, they have more combat ships. They have almost the same number of aircraft, uh, combat aircraft. But my gosh, Jimmy, uh, I would I would uh, uh, bet any day on the Israeli uh, Defense Force Air Force against the Iranian Air Force if you put them head to head. And I would bet any day if you put the, the tank forces of those two countries toe-to-toe, uh, I'd bet on the Israelis as well. So it, it, Israel has a qualitative edge, uh, but, you know, it reminds me a little bit uh, before the first Gulf War in 1991 when um, similar uh, military think tanks were calling Saddam Hussein's army the fifth largest army in the world or the fifth most powerful army. Well, they might have been the fifth largest, but they certainly weren't the fifth most powerful. What about Turkey? The Tayyip Erdogan, head of Turkey, beating his chest again, saying he's ready, and talking with President Trump to give him assurance that he can take care of the security situation there in Syria. Well, that like sounds like the wolf talking to the chief rooster about his hens, does it not? Uh, well, it, it does, Jimmy. And, and I've got to tell you, um, Erdogan and Turkey are playing a very dirty game in Syria. Uh, Erdogan specifically uh, mentioned Syria, uh, Turkish forces moving into Manbij. This is the area where uh, ISIS claimed it had attacked uh, uh, U.S. forces, uh, killed four Americans as well as 15 Kurds at a meeting uh, about 10 days ago. And so Erdogan saying that we will go into Manbij, which is a Kurdish-controlled area, to restore security is very troubling indeed, and it just makes you wonder whether this attack in Banbridge was some kind of false flag. Was Turkey somehow involved in the attack? Uh, I don't know, but uh, it just makes you wonder. The Turks are, are really engaged in a dirty business. Their goal is to move into northern Syria, to whack the Kurds, to destroy the Kurdish defense forces there, the YPG, which Turkey claims is allied with the PKK, uh, again, a group, a Kurdish group inside Turkey that the Turkish government claims is a terrorist group. The PKK say, no, we are just trying to defend Kurdish rights. Give me about 15 seconds, if you can, on this. I know it might not be possible. China and Russia building super EMPs, electric magnetic pulse bombs, for a blackout war. Well, this is something we have talked about before, Jimmy, but uh, what's interesting here, this report which was from the EMP Commission, uh, was uh, finished in July of 2017, but it was only released this past week because of classification issues. This is a highly classified area to see, uh, 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 excuse me, to see Russia, China, and Iran, because that's what's mentioned in this report, developing EMP weapons is truly disturbing because these are doomsday weapons. Absolute doomsday weapons. Ken Timmerman, I told you he's the man that covers the geopolitical activities, and he does an excellent job doing that. Ken, thank you so much for this report. We'll have to talk again next week. Thank you, and have a great weekend, buddy. Thank you uh, as well, Jimmy. And may the angels of the Lord always surround you and protect you. Thank you, my good friend. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I've got a Middle East news update. Sounds like Ken talked about most of the Middle East. No, we've got more. We'll zero in on Israel and Jerusalem with David Dolan. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website site if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here in a temporary studio in Fruitland Park, Florida. We're here right near the villages, just outside the villages. This is a church that I'm going to be ministering in on Sunday through Wednesday. It's called Calvary Baptist Church here in Fruitland Park, Florida. And this is a church we've been here several times before, but they minister to the people, the snowbirds that come down from up north during the winter time. But many have decided to stay year-round here in Florida. It's so beautiful. We'll be speaking at 10.30 Sunday morning, 6.30 in the evening on Sunday night with a Q&A before, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. Uh, let me clear up something for you. Ken Timmerman, when I was talking with him just a moment ago, said that the angels of the Lord are around me and my precious wife, Judy. That is correct. On last Wednesday, we were in Sebring, Florida, where the bank robber, supposed bank robber, he was just wanting to murder people, went into the bank there in Sebring and killed five ladies. We were right across the street in the motel. Our motel was on lockdown. We just praise the Lord. Jody, my daughter, reminded me that had we not been on the air doing a radio interview, a Middle East news update, uh, we would have been out packing our car right there in front of the bank, and we just praise the Lord. God's angels, his guardian angels protecting us. We do believe in guardian angels. Well, let's go now to Dave Dolan. Just before we went on the air during the break, David said uh, that there was breaking news about Hamas getting ready to attack Israel. David, can you give us the latest? What's happening? 
Well, Jimmy, glad you're safe first off, and Israel does need some guardian angels for sure. A threat was uh, published Friday in the uh, Lebanese newspaper that often has Hamas comments very closely related to them and a pro-Iranian paper, which a senior Hamas official said they were, quote, immediately ready to repel Israeli aggression by launching an attack that would be stronger, bigger than the one they launched against Israel last November. Well, that was nearly 400 rockets, as you'll recall, that were launched at Israel, most of them intercepted by the Israeli anti-missile systems. However, a number did get through. A home in Beersheba was destroyed. Two people were killed, and scores were wounded. The Israelis, according to what I'm reading, are saying that they're worried that this could be issued in coordination with Iran and the North, that it might be a signal that uh, imminent conflict is coming and that uh, Hamas would be fully involved in that. Now, we've been talking about that for some months, but an attack that would be stronger than last November's would be a massive attack indeed. And, of course, this comes as everything else is going on, Israel deploying its Iron Dome system in central Israel this week after Syria's uh, minister at the United Nations said that they were preparing to strike Ben Gurion Airport after Israel struck earlier in the week near Damascus, etc., which I'm sure we'll talk about. But this new threat from Hamas came after Prime Minister Netanyahu blocked the latest Qatari payment of, quote, humanitarian aid to Hamas in the Gaza Strip of $15 million. He did that after Tuesday, Hamas forces fired upon Israeli forces out of the blue along the border in the southern part of Hamas across the border fence. So tensions remain very, very high in the south as they do in the north and elsewhere in the region. David, your report on what's going on with Hamas getting ready to attack Israel with the help of Iran, Iran building up their troop deployment of to about 100,000 more than they've had in the past there, threatening to destroy the Jewish state of Israel this week. And, of course, that report about Syria getting ready to bomb Ben-Gurion Airport. I was reading a report from the Jerusalem Post said World War III with a question mark. I mean, it is looking very serious, and especially when the Air Force chief there in Iran says that he and his team, the Air Force of Iran, ready to destroy the Jewish state. More, we're at a certain point in history, are we not? We are, Jimmy. It's been a dizzying week. We started with Israeli strikes on Sunday against Iranian positions in and around Damascus. Of course, that came after Russia said, don't do any more of this. They repeated that this week. And then the Israelis took out an Iranian missile on Monday, a Fatah missile that was deliberately fired at the Golan Heights. And of course, a lot of people on Mount Hermon skiing took photographs of the Iron Dome Israeli system intercepting, thankfully, intercepting that rocket aimed at Israel. General Soleimani, the revolutionary forces head in Iran, who is in Syria right now, was reportedly right along the border, and he wasn't supposed to be there, and actually gave the order to fire the rocket. Israel responded that this uh, was planned for some time, however. This rocket didn't just get set up and fired overnight, that they've been planning this, and they used the Israeli attacks on Sunday as the excuse. But the statement on Tuesday by the Iranian Air Force chief, very ominous, as you mentioned, I'm going to quote it, our armed forces are prepared for a war that will bring the crushing destruction of Israel. We are ready for the day when we will see the end of Israel. 
Well, that was followed the next day by another statement by a senior Iranian official repeating that they're ready to go. And then on Friday, they began two days of war exercises in central Iran. Their forward deployment forces, this is about 12,000 specially trained Iranian forces that could be flown into an area of combat quickly and are highly, highly trained. So Iran is signaling that it is ready for full war. The statement from Hamas probably in coordination with Iran also indicating that. And, of course, the Iron Dome system being moved near to Ben-Gurion Airport after the Syrian U.N. ambassador said that they would get involved. And, Jimmy, earlier on Tuesday, Prime Minister Netanyahu issued an interesting statement. For the first time, he included Syria as an enemy force. He said, we are going to continue to strike our enemies that are threatening to destroy us with a crushing fist, he said. And he said this would be both Iran and Syria. Well, until now, the Syrians have been left out of the official statements by Israeli leaders because they were basically focusing on Iranian and Hezbollah forces operating inside of Syria. Now they're saying Syria also is an active combatant. And definitely, Jimmy, that signals possible biblical fulfillment. And I would say World War III is not a far stretch because, of course, Russia, the United States, France, the U.K., Turkey, other Arab countries, everybody has a stake in this, and definitely a lot of signals that we may be on the verge of a major, major war, the largest at the very least since 1973. Now, just in passing a moment ago, David, you mentioned that Russia has told Israel to stop any airstrikes on Syria. Is that uh, something that could bring a confrontation face-to-face, head-to-head between Russia and Israel, if indeed Israel does continue to defend themselves with these airstrikes? Well, Jimmy, really, without sounding too ominous, it brings Russia fully now into the enemy of Israel category. Now, I have to say that uh, still the Russian uh, foreign ministry issued a statement saying we don't want to see an escalation, we don't want to see war in the region, but they are now openly telling the Israelis, stop all attacks against Iranian and Syrian targets. Of course, Iranian targets have been the main ones until now that Israel's been striking. Stop that. They call them arbitrary strikes. Well, they're not arbitrary. They're happening because Iran is massing forces in Syria. There's aircraft landing every day at Damascus Airport from Iran, carrying more weapons, carrying more men. They're also flying into Beirut Airport. And by the way, the president of Israel was in France this week, and he said that Israel will hold Lebanon's government responsible for any attacks from Hezbollah in Lebanon. It won't just be Hezbollah they'll reply to, but the Lebanese government as well, because they have the ability to stop Hezbollah from acting, presumably. But Iran is on the warpath, Jimmy. It's clear that they feel they're ready to go, and that, of course, means Israel has to be ready to go. For Israel to set up its Iron Dome system right outside of Ben-Gurion Airport and outside of Tel Aviv is a signal, a strong signal, that they expect conflict. And, Jimmy, there has been a military call-up going on in Israel. I can't say too much about that because it's under military censorship, but reports about it appeared on some of the largest Israeli papers, including Yediot Akronot, and then they suddenly disappeared a few hours later. Well, I've seen that in the past as a correspondent in Israel. When war seemed to be imminent, the military censor gets active and starts to control the news because, of course, in wartime, you have to 
be very careful about what you say. All the pieces seem to be in place for a major explosion, and Israel needs those guardian angels like never before. Absolutely, they certainly do. And when you read God's prophetic word, you'll have to see that the Lord himself is going to intercede to stop these attacking enemies from wiping Israel off the face of the earth. They can talk about it all day long. God's not going to allow Israel to be wiped off the face of the earth. One of the reasons that David Dolan comes to this broadcast table on a weekly basis is to keep us informed of what's happening in this key region of the world. David, thank you so very much for this Middle East News update, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy, and stay safe. God bless. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Randall Price, he is a professor at Liberty University, also an archaeologist working on going into the caves above Qumran looking for Dead Sea Scrolls. You need to hear that story. It's upcoming here on Prophecy Today right after the break. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Temporary Studios, Fruitland Park, Florida. They refer to this area as the Villages. It's an old folks' home area, and it's lots of people that come from the north in the wintertime especially, but many have decided to move down here. Well, we're at the Fruitland Park Church where we have ministered in the last couple of years, Calvary Baptist Church. We're going to be there on Sunday, all day Sunday, and then Monday through Wednesday evenings. Love to have you come and study the prophetic word of God with us. Well, we're going to Israel now, and we're going to be talking with Dr. Randy Price. Randy is actually the distinguished professor of biblical and Judaic studies at Liberty University. But he is also a very qualified archaeologist, and in fact, he just told me before we went on the air that he's just finished a three-week dig there at the Qumran area down near the Dead Sea, where he and his team have been digging in the area of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that's exactly why I wanted to have Randy on the air with us. Randy, the last time that uh, we talked together, we were talking about false fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls that are being found around the world, and you were explaining why this was a danger to true archaeological science and doing what the archaeologists do to try to prove antiquities or artifacts are the real thing that needed to be stopped. But I understand that one of the reasons you've been there for three weeks now 
up in Jerusalem where we're talking to you at this point. Uh, but there's been a rush by archaeologists to get to the caves surrounding where those Dead Sea Scrolls were found there at Qumran back in 1947 by some Bedouin boys. And the rush is that the true archaeologists are there for the purpose of stopping cave robbers and those people who want to steal true artifacts from the caves around Qumran. Explain what's going on and how you're a part of this, Randy. For a number of years now, scroll fragments, other artifacts have been coming onto the black market. And these have been items that have been looted from the caves to the south and to the north of what we call Qumran, the area where the Dead Sea Scrolls were produced. And this has been something that's very difficult to deal with because these things end up in private collections anywhere in the world, and, and the history of them and the context of them is lost to those who want to put them in the proper perspective and understand them in relationship to the Bible. So while these things may or may not ever be known, they are removed from the context which would help us properly understand them. And that's, that's really what happened you know, with the original Dead Sea Scrolls. They were, they were found by Bedouin, who are nomads who live in the desert, and they were sold on the black market, and the archaeologist only learned about them that way, uh, tried to bribe the Bedouin to take them to the location. Uh, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. So our knowledge despite 70 years of study of the Dead Sea Scrolls, is limited because we don't know exactly if the scrolls we have match certain caves, certain locations. I understand that uh, those Dead Sea Scrolls found in 47 have been studied by so many different scientific researchers uh, that it seems to really indicate they are the real thing. And maybe there are some more Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, is that the reason that uh, all the archaeologists, real archaeologists, are rushing to these caves to keep the robbers from taking the real thing? And do you yourself believe that there may well be more Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah, I, I don't have any doubt that there are more scrolls. We, in 2017, found a scroll cave with seven scroll jars in it with all the wrappings the scrolls had been in and the ties and strings, and but the scrolls were removed. I don't think they were removed by looters. I think they've been taken long ago in antiquity. But we know these things exist. And we, in 2018, found another a cave that had treasures in it. Again, not scrolls, but these are just two caves of some 300 that are in the area that are known that have never been explored. Almost every cave we go in has remains of Bedouin activity. We find bags of trash or foodstuffs left over, or sometimes tools. They, they, they come by cover of night. They have no time restrictions. They don't have to get permits. They hit fast and they run away. And on our side, the advantage to us is they don't have the proper equipment and they can't spend weeks digging to get to some of the, the real treasures. So our hope is that we can um, can find some of these new caves and find new information, because after all, the only new information we have coming to us from the Bible comes from archaeology. And it's very important to try to understand the biblical text in this time period. During the time of Jesus and during the time of the formation of the Church, we have no other text that early, and it really will shed a lot of light both on the formation of the Old Testament 
and the the teaching of the New Testament, and I think for Jewish people around the world, shed a light on the messianic hope that these communities had, and I think one way or another be used to bring them to the table to discuss these beliefs about Messiah that no longer exist within Judaism. Randy, I know that you've been digging there at Qumran for a long, long time, especially right there on the plateau where those caves were in 47, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. But I understand you have partnered with other archaeologists there in Israel. For example, Oren Gutfeld, who is an archaeologist associated with Hebrew University, And I see reports, read reports from all across the world that you two found some pottery, but no more scrolls. I mean, Randy, does the pottery actually indicate there may be more scrolls there in those caves? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I say, these are scroll jars, which indicated there were once scrolls there. Just a week ago, we finished excavation of a cave that had only been rumored to have scroll jars. Back in the 1950s, it had been stumbled upon, and a man had actually taken a picture in the door of this cave, but nobody really knew where it was, and it was given a number, but no one could find it. And through some detective work we did, and, and actually in contact with the man who knew this man just before he died and got the full story, we were able to locate that cave. It's very high up, and so we wanted to see uh, what was remaining. The story was that he found a number of scroll jars in there. They were empty when he found them, and the lids were stacked against the, the, the side of the cave. But, of course, it was a scroll cave at one time, and it was lost to people's knowledge. We found it. We excavated. We found the bottoms of scroll jars. We found rims of scroll jars. The pottery indicates very clearly that was once a scroll cave. Now, there was nothing left in the cave or nothing that remained in the cave, and maybe nothing else was ever put in the cave but those original jars. But it it helps us know where these caves were. And sometime we're going to come across a cave that's more fully collapsed where no one's been able to get in, uh, take anything out, and maybe even in antiquity. Some of these caves were too high for them to, to go back to, and so it's just a matter of, uh, how can I tell you, it's an exploration. We go cave by cave by cave, and uh, we're finding things all along. One day we're going to find a new cache of scrolls, because I believe they're there. Absolutely. That's why you're out there, of course, doing what you're doing, especially this last three weeks, intensifying to try to shut down those cave robbers. Well, the world news media is covering this story. They're quoting you from uh, different uh, issues about the dig for the Dead Sea Scrolls, also Gutfeld. And they mentioned that he had said that indeed he found, or they think they have come across the Copper Scroll. Can you explain what that is? Well, Ord and I have worked together since 2002. He was a graduate student when we started. Now he's a very distinguished uh, researcher in charge of salvage operations, which are what we are doing, actually trying to save uh, remains before they're lost, uh, lost to history, lost to Israel. He has been working in some other caves and in some tunnels up at a place called Hyrcania, as many of us do in this area, trying to, at some time, maybe come across the remains of the items mentioned in the Copper Scroll. 
This was a document that was put in Cave 3 at Qumran. Uh, caves are numbered in the order of the discovery. This was discovered in 1953. And this scroll was in, entirely of copper. It was incised with a treasure map of 66 places that throughout the Judean Desert and maybe some other places, uh, there was an immense amount of treasure, gold and silver and, and even items uh, maybe related to the temple. We're not sure. Problem is, all the places listed on the map no longer exist. There's just nothing to give you a really good idea. And so our hope is that some of these things may have ended up in the caves, may have ended up in other hiding places, and uh, somewhere online we may find these. And if so, it would be a great blessing because it would produce new materials uh, as well as uh, generate a wealth that uh, some people have thought is simply a fantasy, but we, we believe it's quite real. You know, as you have, Randy, I have led many tours to Israel over the last 25 years. And always when I would go to Qumran and we'd talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, I said that the Essenes were responsible. They were the ones who had this community and the ones responsible for copying the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now I understand National Geographic magazine, who's covering what you're doing out there as well, says that the Essenes weren't the only ones at Qumran who were doing the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in fact, other organizations at that time in history uh, were doing the Dead Sea Scrolls as well and bringing them to Qumran. What do we know about that? Yeah, I mean, look, this community existed for some 200 years. Uh, they were in a very prominent place. They were connected to a lot of the other communities around. I think people knew that Judean Desert was an ideal place to deposit uh, things of value. Uh, Jeremiah had already said that valuable things we put in an earthenware jar to last for a long time, and that was related to a prophecy about Israel's return to the land. And so people came to Qumran, they said, these guys know what they're doing. There were caves all around the Qumran community and caves in the cliffs to the north and south. I think people may have entrusted uh, valuable documents to them. Uh, one we know called the Temple Scroll is much older than the Qumran community, so it was something that pre-existed, was found in one of the caves. Uh, certainly it's uh, had some relationship to the Kumar community, but it isn't something they produce. It's something that they had of their own. And I think people who joined the Kumar community brought Torah scrolls, they brought, certainly brought Esther scrolls. Those are very common things for people to have. And these things, too, were put away. And then, of course, as I said, Kumar may have had a reputation, and people from Jerusalem, Jericho, the nearby areas, wherever they were, uh, might have looked upon them as people who had repositories that could uh, manage these these items. Uh, it's very quite possible that everyone in the immediate area would have used those caves for the same purpose. Randy, you've already alluded to the fact that we as Christians should be concerned about what's going on there in the search for the Dead Sea Scrolls. As we conclude our conversation, just repeat that so those who are eavesdropping on this conversation might understand why the Dead Sea Scrolls are so key to the Christian life and the Bibles that we carry every day. Well, in the first place, we have no other documents from the time period of Jesus in the New Testament. And people have been very critical of the New Testament, saying that it was produced in a much later time. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls have shown us they are true to the time in which they claim to have been written. 
Uh, there's misunderstandings about Jesus and the Messianic hope that Judaism had, because after the destruction of the Temple and the reorganization of Judaism after 90 A.D., uh, rabbinic Judaism took things in a very different direction, and they basically defined themselves in opposition to Christianity. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls have none of those controversies involved. They, they're looking at the prophets, and they're interpreting them in a very consistent way, as what you see in the pages of the New Testament. So it's a great help to scholars to affirm the message of the New Testament, to understand the culture, the background, the language, many of the types of practices going on that are really lost to a later period of time. So if you try to reconstruct the New Testament in this way from later rabbinic Judaism, you can't be sure you're accurate. Except from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were written at that same time, uh, really give us a window to pass we never knew before. You've been listening to the voice of Dr. Randall Price. He's a distinguished professor of biblical and Judaic studies at Liberty University. We caught up with him in Jerusalem, Israel, at the conclusion of a three-week dig there at the Qumran area, looking through the caves to see if they can find more Dead Sea Scrolls. Randy, thank you so very much for giving us a moment. Uh, the world media is covering you. I thought we ought to be on top of the conversation with you as well. Appreciate it so much, and I'm sure we'll have another conversation down the road. Always, Jimmy. Thank you. Very interesting information coming from Randy Price, an archaeologist, professor at Liberty University. We're going to now go to a key region of this world. We're talking about Europe, and in particular, the European Union. The man covering that for us, John Rood. John, let's get into the information right away. It was about a week ago you and I talked about the failure to pass Brexit there in the British Parliament. Now, I want to talk to you about Brexit and what Europe really wants for the future. Can you give me further insight with this time that you've been able to think about it? Yes, we've considered overall that Britain is the one that's experiencing all the difficulties and so forth. It was self-inflicted. The EU is saying the ball is in their court, meaning the United Kingdom. We only have nine weeks left until the Brexit date of March 29. So all the attention has been towards the United Kingdom, when indeed it's the EU that has created this situation of deadlock, even making a provision that the United Kingdom really can't leave in the fullness, and that's what the vote of the people was. So we have democracy at stake here. We have a lot of unknowns. The United Kingdom, we must remember, they joined the European Economic Community in 1973. And it was just to, to join a trade union. Uh, it wasn't about giving up their currency or having a political union. And probably a very little-known fact that has not been brought out in this entire process, there was a referendum to leave the European Economic Community in 1975. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? From 1973, only two years were they in when there was a referendum. It passed about uh, 60%. So the original idea was to be in the European Free Trade Association, which is now one of the possibilities. This really should have been done from the beginning. The EU, as always, has overplayed their hand. They're forcing a hard Brexit. They think it's to their advantage. But with all the shifting in Europe today, it will not be to their advantage. 
Well, Europe really would like to have a Brexit not happen at all, would they not? They would like to see Great Britain stay in the group of nations, 28 nations. Yes, absolutely. And the reasoning for the United Kingdom was always we must stay in because otherwise how will we influence them? But when you see that you just have a small percentage of the European Parliament, you have one commissioner and so forth, it's really not a situation where you can have much influence from the inside. So the EU is a very dated system now. It is working towards its disintegration mode. And so we have to stay tuned, especially these next weeks, because there will be some creative solution. There's no reason why the U.K. cannot leave and in trade areas just take the World Trade Organization rules. That's how the United States trades with, with the United Kingdom. Uh, that would be fine, and this is a type of situation we're getting into. Some very important information, I do believe, coming out of Great Britain. Seems like they have signed their first post-Brexit trade deal. You were just talking about the United States and Great Britain. Now they have signed a trade deal with Israel. Can you give us an update on that? Yes, things are coming together. You know, we have the World Economic Forum and Davos and so forth. The leaders are getting together. And there's been a trade deal in principle that has been signed between the European Union and Israel. And uh, both sides are very, very pleased. It's excellent news for their relationship and partnership. Uh, it's going to increase and strengthen the uh, economic atmosphere for, for some time. So we're seeing contingency plans already beginning to kick in. Malta as well, it wasn't a trade deal, but they came out with an agreement that they will give 10-year renewable residence visas to Brits. So countries individually are beginning to step up. But I think it's notable that Israel was one of the very first to say that we will continue and have our own agreements outside of the European Union. This was very remarkable and a good beginning. Yes, absolutely. Significant prophetic implications, I believe, as well. Well, uh, speaking of the European Union, and before we get off of relationships with Israel, looks like the EU is now calling for new Palestinian elections. Uh, the fact is, there have not been elections for 12 years. There should have been. Israel's been talking about it. Now the EU is putting on pressure to the Palestinians to go to elections. Give me a report. Yes, the European Union is calling for Palestinian Authority elections, which at one time had democratic elections. Now, the situation there, it's a big power struggle between Fatah and Hamas. So even with, even with democracy fully integrated, it's going to be those groups that are at the, at the helm. So it's been very troublesome. I would imagine that this is sort of the democracy quote-unquote, where the votes are counted ahead of time. But it's very uh, remarkable, as you said, Jimmy, it's uh, the democratic body in the Palestinian Authority is the Palestinian Legislative Council. And even though they were democratically elected, they have not been in session since 2007. They basically just play a symbolic role. The terms of the office of its members expired in 2010, and even Abbas, the uh, leader, his term expired in 2009. So it's been uh, not only a democratic sham, but it's just been a refusal at this time. So the EU 
is calling for more democracy, which has been lacking, which is ironic because the European Union itself is known for its democratic deficit. Again, for Palestinian Authority, it's very difficult to say, even if democracy was reinstated, it's just going to be voting between themselves and uh, a step in some direction. You know, it's interesting. I'm not sure if our listeners caught what you said there. You said an election where they count the votes before the election takes place. Well, that's the way that operation unfolds there in the Palestinian Authority. One final question for you, John. Is the European ideal, the European Union ideal, really losing its popular appeal? I mean, is it going to disintegrate totally or... Is there still enough excitement about it to keep it going until it maybe does revolve into the old Roman Empire? The European Union has such enormous tensions and threats right now. There's a big call for change. It's losing its mass appeal, absolutely. We have the rise of conservative parties. So there is a big call to change. Now, through my experience of decades with the European Union, Every time there's a large call for change, you need to duck and look out, because the EU method is to simply say, well, you know what we did was a failure, and let's just raise the whole thing and start all over again. Let's implement our new plans. But it's interesting to see now how um, the World Economic Forum, again, that just met in, in Switzerland, you know, there's there's the world thinkers and the influence uh, mover shakers there. And they're looking at this supranational authority of the European Union to see what went wrong. And so they've actually come out and said that, it's, that the EU is just a pale shadow of its glorious past, and it's just moving from one crisis to another. And it's imperative now that the EU change fundamentally if it wants to survive. Now, considering that that came out of that forum... I would assume that they're uh, planning some very drastic changes, which will probably, as you've pointed out, lead to a uh, solidification of political union. I'd like to call it a supernova, where just those that are not willing to go with the political union uh, will just blow off, and then we'll have an implosion. In fact, I saw the word implosion used for the first time in the news concerning the European Union. A a coming implosion can bring something very close to the Ten Nations. And the revival of the Roman Empire is called for by the book of Daniel. That's John Rood. He's our man who covers the political activities, which always leads to the prophetic significances found in God's Word as we report on the European Union. John, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, and thank you for everything you're doing, Jimmy. Thank you so much, John. Let's uh, now go to the exciting part of this program. It's the opportunity to answer questions from you, our listeners. Jim Jr. joins me here at the broadcast table. And Jim, if you will, give us the questions that you have from our listeners. Janelle sends in a question, and this has to do with the Jewish people at the rapture of the church. How will Jewish people react when the rapture takes place? Also, will we know when the rapture comes, even if and when we are sound asleep? Hey, look, when we're asleep, 
when he shouts, man, we're out of here. We're leaving this place, going to the heavenlies. I, it'll be a, a rude awakening, but only for a second or two, a split second, because we're going to be in his presence. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed to go to be with him. Now, back to the uh, question that Janelle asked first. How will Jewish people react when the rapture takes place? Just like everybody else, Janelle, on this earth. Many of them are going to be totally surprised that somehow there's a group of people that have disappeared. There's going to be those who will come along and try to explain it away. There's going to be a part of the society who says, hey, those Christians are finally out of here. Boy, they were the ones causing all the problem. Praise God, they are out of here. Well, the rapture of the church is going to be difficult for many to explain away and really go differently than what the Bible is teaching. But there will be some Jews who have heard. For example, I've had Jewish leaders, Jewish rabbis, mm-hmm. talk to me and make the statement. Well, he, I, one of them I remember very distinctly who said, your eschatology is different than my eschatology. <laughs> uh, he knew the terminology. He has an idea of what is going to happen in the future as it relates to Christians. But uh, they're still going to have to explain it away. Many of them will realize, hey, wait a minute. What Jimmy and Jimmy were talking about is absolutely true. There was a rapture to happen. The Christians are gone. Maybe we'd better start paying attention to what that book has to say. But uh, it's going to be an interesting time for those left behind when the rapture does take place. And, Dad, that's what motivates us to be about the work of telling others and understanding Bible prophecy. It really helps us to understand the times in which we're living and the urgency of the hour. Thank you, Janelle, for sending in that question. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, another conversation with David James right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is my last half hour with you. By the way, I ask for 90 minutes. You stay with us for this 30 minutes. That makes 90. You will have helped me achieve my plan for you to give you information from around the world from my broadcast partners looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. This helps us to understand the urgency of the moment and how close we are to the fulfillment of the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. I'm here in Fruitland Park, Florida, just outside the villages in Florida. Maybe you've heard of this very distinguished area where all the snowbirds from up north come down during the winter time. But indeed, we're here wanting them, the people at the villages, to come over and join us as we will be teaching Bible prophecy at the Calvary Baptist Church. We'll do that Sunday, tomorrow, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. On Sunday here at Calvary Baptist, we'll be beginning at 1045, a 6.30 Sunday evening service, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 7 o'clock with Prophecy Q&A an hour before each of the services. Come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God here at Calvary Baptist Church, Fruitland Park, Florida. Well, here's my poll question and would love for you to answer it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page, if you'll scroll down on the left-hand side, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question. The threat from Syria to attack Ben-Gurion Airport in Israel and the statement by Iran that they are ready to destroy Israel 
for World War III, according to an Israeli journalist. Do you believe that to be the case as well? Go answer my poll question after the broadcast, if you will. like to see what you're thinking. And while there, you might want to find out about our tours. If you're on my website, go to Joshua Travel. I think we have five different tours this year. You can find the dates, the itinerary, the cost, and all the information you need to come join us. Love to have you come participate with us as we travel through the land of the Bible. Be sure to go to my website and Joshua Travel to get all that information. We now bring to these microphones David James. Check your clock. It's that time of the week when I have a conversation with my good buddy David James, who is way out in the Philippines right now. Our topic this week is going to be what the vice president was called by Lady Gaga and then the response by Franklin Graham. You don't want to miss this conversation. Keep the dial set right where it is. David, we catch you just about to wrap up three weeks of teaching there in the Philippines and getting ready to head home for a couple of weeks before you head out again. That's right. I've had a great time here in the Philippines. Finished up teaching two courses this week, and I'll be home for a couple of weeks, and then I head out to Uganda in East Africa. There I'll be teaching God's plan through the ages once again, as well as signs, wonders, and the charismatic movement. Well, you keep going out there, and you go across the world teaching these young people what the basics of the Bible are all about, this helping to give them a foundation to go out into the world. Praise the Lord for your ministry. David, earlier this week, ChristianHeadlines.com ran a story highlighting Franklin Graham's response to an attack on Vice President Mike Pence and his wife, And that attack was from Lady Gaga. What do we know about this? Well, this centers around statements that she made in the middle of the concerts, in the middle of one of her shows, actually in the middle of one of her songs, as I understand it. She stopped and actually attacked both uh, the Pences as well as President Trump. It all centered around Mrs. Pence returning to a school that she taught at, Emanuel Christian School, which is a private K-8 school outside of Washington, where she had previously taught for 12 years while Mike Pence was a member of Congress, and so she was there until he left to be governor of Indiana. And this Christian school, as I said, is a private school, and it requires those applying for teaching and support staff positions to sign or initial a set of standards, including living a personal life of moral purity and believing that marriage can only be between a man and a woman. It deals with the matters of pornography, gender identity, and and premarital sex. So it's a comprehensive statement and one that you and I have actually encouraged schools and churches to and ministries to adopt because of the current environment that we're in. David, what were some of the things that Lady Gaga said about the vice president and his wife that created such a stir? She said, and I'm quoting her, I'm a Christian woman, and what I do know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice and everybody is welcome. And to that, she received really thunderous applause at her venue in Las Vegas. She went on to say directly to the Pences, you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and look 
yourself in the mirror, and you'll find it right there. And I think I need to point out that earlier in the week, actually on Sunday, Billboard magazine ran an article, and the title of it was 12 Times Lady Gaga Showed Love for the LGBTQ Community, and the lead paragraph in that article says, For over a decade, Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata Lady Gaga, for short, has had one clear objective in mind, and that is to promote the gay agenda. And she is the first one to admit it. And in her first cover story, going back to 2009 in Out Magazine, which is a gay publication, she said that she wanted to inject gay culture into the mainstream. It's not an underground tool for me. It's my whole life. So I always sort of joke the real motivation is to just turn the world gay. So the fact is that you and I have been talking about the fact that this is the LGBT agenda. There is an agenda, and that is to transform culture. And she is at the point of the spear on this in many ways. David, I want to get to what Franklin Graham had to say. We'll do that in just a moment. But before that, how did the vice president respond to Lady Gaga's comments? Well, there was a spokesman for Mrs. Pence. I don't know that Mike Pence has actually directly responded to Lady Gaga, but a spokeswoman for the Pence's defended Second Lady's action, saying it's absurd that her decision to teach art to children at a Christian school and the school's religious beliefs are under attack. And actually, before Lady Gaga made these comments, Mike Pence was on the radio for the Family Research Council program with Tony Perkins last Friday, which was just prior to the Right to Life march in Washington. And on that program, he did come out in defense of his faith and defense of his wife's decision. And he said this, my wife and I have been in the public eye for quite a while now. We're used to the criticism, but I have to tell you, to see major news organizations attacking Christian education is deeply offensive to us. And this criticism of Christian education in America should stop. That's absolutely correct. I would stand with the vice president also on that. Well, let's get back to that article now. What did Franklin Graham have to say about the incident? He actually took to Facebook, and his post is still on his Facebook page. I I saw it yesterday, and he said this, quote, Lady Gaga, Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata, may be a very talented singer and actress, but her comments about Vice President Mike Pence and Second Lady Karen Pence are misguided and unfortunate. He went on to say, as Christians following Christ, this means following the teaching of teachings of God's Word. The Bible makes it clear that homosexuality is a sin among many others, and they all have a cost. He went on to say, I know Vice President Mike Pence and Mrs. Pence, and to me, the way they conduct their lives and exhibit their faith make them the best kind of Christian. What a blessing they are to our nation. And I would also point out that another commentator, Matt Walsh, a conservative commentator, I believe he is a Catholic, he said this, We have officially entered a new phase in the culture war. Gone are the days when leftists pretend to see religion as a thing that should be relegated to homes and churches and private schools. They will not tolerate Christianity in any form, especially in private schools. You know, Mike Pence and Lady Gaga both grew up as Catholic, as I understand it, David. But they're now at opposite ends of the spectrum concerning social issues and have come to some very different conclusions 
when it comes to the LGBT movement. Talk to me about that. Well, I think that it's important to understand that there's a difference between the way the world is looking at this and the way conservative evangelical Christians would look at this. There was an article that came out on Monday in the Huffington Post that says that Lady Gaga's Christianity compels her to compassionately defend LGBTQ Americans while Mike Pence uses his faith to justify discrimination. So this is the way the world is looking at it. It's very much skewed in the favor of Lady Gaga, and in fact, I did a search in preparation for our discussion on Mike Pence's response to Lady Gaga, and what I got back in my Google search was page after page, literally page after page, which highlighted Lady Gaga's statement that didn't yield but a couple of results for the position of the Pence's or Franklin Graham on this. So it's very, very skewed. My guess is that the even the search algorithms that they're using are skewed in favor of the LGBTQ agenda. I would also point out this, that Mike Pence even though he grew up Catholic, he said in one interview, I made a commitment to Christ. I'm a born-again evangelical Catholic. And Pence has also said that he made a commitment to Christ while taking part in a non-denominational Christian student group in college. And I actually looked up the church that they attended in the 90s on the south side of Indianapolis, which is an e-free church, an evangelical free church, and I looked at their doctrinal statement, and it was as solid as could be, including on the matter of being pre-tribulational, as well as their statements concerning the gospel, the word of God, and so on. So I would say that he is a born-again believer and is coming at things from that perspective. Well, I would have to think that Lady Gaga had better check out her Christianity with the only standard for Christianity, the Bible, and and confirm that she does know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm not saying she does or she doesn't, but God's Word is absolute on that subject. David, as we wrap up for this week, what are a few biblical passages that you go to when you're equipping believers around the world to deal with the LGBT agenda? Well, I start out in Genesis chapter 1 with the creation, and in verse 27, the Word of God says that he made them male and female and in the image of God. And that in verse 24 of chapter 2, he says that man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. So two women or two men who come together cannot be married in the eyes of God because they cannot come together in a one flesh union in the way that a man and a woman can. So it completely runs against the purpose and the way in which God created a man and woman. Also, if you go into the law in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 13, it talks about the fact and condemns the act and the practice of two men coming together to have sexual relations. But we also need to understand that even though this is under law, we see the mind of God in this and his attitude toward this. And in the context there in Leviticus 20, it also talks about other horrible sexual acts that are included in that condemnation and actually under the law they were to be put to death. Romans chapter 1, there's a downward spiral of humanity, and you know you've reached the bottom of that spiral.
spiral uh, just prior to God's judgment, where it talks about homosexual behavior. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that homosexuals and sodomites, among others, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he also says that such were some of you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. So people are changed when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Seems to me that the LGBT agenda is an aggressive agenda. Those who are standing behind it want to convert everybody to their thinking. Well, we should take the Word of God, dear friend, use what David has just given us, and endeavor to convert those involved in that agenda to turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and no longer live that life of sin. David, thank you so much for your research and for the topic itself. I appreciate you bringing it to my attention. And we'll be praying that you have safe journeys home and we'll have another conversation on a very important issue next week. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always great to be with you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at the book, Open the Bible, and compare what all of my broadcast partners had to say about current events. And they will understand the urgency of the moment. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We've had a number of broadcast partners that have come to my broadcast table with very important reports. You've been able to hear them or possibly you were interrupted from being able to hear all the reports. So you might want to go back to my website and listen to those you may have missed. 
That's prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. That's where the reports are. Why is it so key that you hear these reports? Well, we have broadcast journalists all over the world that help us to focus in on key regions and nations of this world, and they have reports of current events. Now, these news stories they give us are information that must fit into the prophetic scenario of the events of the end time. My broadcast partners will give us details that no other media outlet can give to each and every one of us. We are students, and I recognize if you're listening to the broadcast, Prophecy Today, you must be a student of Bible prophecy. If you'd like to hear these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, to listen to all the reports. And do me a favor, please pass along this information to your friends so they can hear the reports and understand where we are in God's time, prophetically, and the urgency of the moment. What I'm going to do right now is look at these reports myself, take their lead story, and give you a prophetic perspective on it so you can understand how close we are to the fulfillment of God's prophetic word. Ken Timmerman, for example, he is the man who looks at geopolitical activities for us. He has a report in the print media, a major outlet that was entitled, for Islamic Iran, it's hunting season again. He was talking about how Iranian hitmen are traveling throughout Europe and, in fact, across the entire world looking for enemies of the Islamic State of Iran. They want to shut down any dissonance that may be going against the Iranian leadership and their spread of terrorism with the religious motivation to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Now, that's the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. You do not have to take my word from a political report, but the prophetic significance is found in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, where Persia, that's the nation mentioned, that will be an alignment of nations that will endeavor to try to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel, Persia in biblical times, but today known as Iran. And within the last 24 hours, Iranian leaders, in fact, the head of the Iranian Air Force, said that Iran is ready to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Now, that was a recent statement, not radical rhetoric from days past, but from today. Meanwhile, David Dolan, who has been a longtime journalist in Israel, reported that World War III, according to an Israeli journalist, is about to begin, and then the caveat was that Syria is ready to bomb Ben-Gurion Airport and Iran ready to destroy Israel. I've just mentioned that Iran is ready to be a part of that alignment that will wipe out Israel if they can do that. However, I've read the last chapter, they will be stopped. God will intercede to stop any enemy of Israel from wiping out the Jewish state because he has a plan for his chosen people. He's going to come back. He's going to give them a kingdom. He will rule and reign over that kingdom. 
forever. And that's found in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. God's word is absolute on these reports, no matter what Syria, by the way, Syria making the first move, according to Bible prophecy, to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, and Iran might be planning at this point in time. Very interesting conversation with Dr. Randall Price. He is at Liberty University, a professor there in biblical studies and Judaic studies. He's also an archaeologist and involved in the project to try to get to as many of the caves near Qumran, that's a community on the coast of the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They believe there are more Dead Sea Scrolls, and they're trying to find these scrolls before illegals actually go in and rob the caves of these valuable artifacts, information that helps us to understand that God's Word is absolute, These would be the oldest manuscripts that have ever been found containing God's Word. Very important report. You need to hear that as it relates to our own study of the Word of God, and in particular, Bible prophecy. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. We were dealing with what Europe really wants Great Britain to do. They want them to stay in the European Union. Well, The Bible helps us to understand there will be a revival of the Roman Empire. Uh, That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and explained in verses 23 and 24 of that same chapter. And we look at the European Union as at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. A major player in the end times will be the revival of that Roman Empire. And then David James and I had a conversation about Lady Gaga, who went after Vice President Mike Pence and his wife for their stand on sodomy, or would you like me to say homosexuals? I believe the biblical statement is sodomy. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, remember, by God, Genesis chapter 19, because of man having sex with man, woman having sex with woman. This is the death spiral, according to Romans chapter 1, and Luke 17 says, as it was in the days of Lot, homosexuality, sodomy, rampant in the world, that's when Jesus will return. Now, that gives us indication, along with the other reports from my broadcast partners, that we're living in a time when the rapture could take place. That's the next event on God's calendar of activities, and that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up unto. Remember, if you want more of the latest news out of the Middle East, go to our website at prophecytoday.com. There you will also find information for a better understanding of biblical prophecy as it relates to our world today. Our toll-free phone number is 8-PROPHECY-8. Remember, the Lord Jesus is coming, and it could be today. So let's keep looking up until...